this morning, you can turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. We're looking at a message entitled, Eyes on the Prize. Eyes on the Prize. And as we come to verse 7 today of the last chapter of the book of James, we come to the concluding encouragements and exhortations from the author. Uh, We're not quite landed yet. Next week on Sunday, we will have concluded our time together, uh, ending the book of James. But today, we're simply on the descent, okay? We are, we are on our way to landing the plane. I don't know if you guys ever flown in a plane before. Raise your hand. So typically, there's like 30 minutes left of the plane ride, and so the captain gets on, and you guys are usually flying at 30,000 feet in the air, and so he gets on and over the intercom, and he starts to tell you about the weather and the place that you're landing. He says, we hope you enjoyed your flight. Thank you for flying Southwest and, and so on and so forth, right? Now, you know, you're not there yet, but you're close, right? So you get your seatbelt on, uh, no getting up and going to the bathroom, no drink cart. And so you're beginning that descent. And so as we come into the message today, have in your mind that James is wrapping up all the things that we have talked about thus far within our series. And so he begins to end it here the same way that he begins. He talks about the topic of endurance. So the topic for today is the topic of perseverance and endurance in our lives as believers. As a way of introduction, you can note down Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The author of Hebrews here says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run, notice, with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The Bible oftentimes describes our life as Christians as a race, as something that we are to run down and advance and go forward in. And And there are a few encouragements here in this passage of Hebrews 12. But notice that he says that we must run this race with endurance. And notice that it's a race that is set before us, meaning that we all have individual races. We all have these individual paths that God has laid out for us. And so we aren't to try to run someone else's race, but we are to run our own. However, if you've ever gone running before, running can often make you tired and life can make you tired and want to throw in the towel at times. But we're told that we need to run this race. We're to have this relationship with God with endurance. The same author in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, uh, just a couple chapters earlier, spoke about this endurance as a need, right? Not a want. He says, for you have need of endurance, So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Listen, you will need endurance in your life. Maybe so far, life has gone pretty smooth, uh, nothing too disrupting. uh, And you would say, man, I I feel like uh, things are rather easy. Uh, You need to know that that's not always going to be the case. And I can guarantee you that because of Jesus's words to us. He said that in this world, you will, not you might, not 
not, it could happen. You will have tribulation. Translation, hard times. And so we need endurance to stay on the path of God that he has for us. Listen, everything in this world, including the own, your own body that you live with, that scripture refers to as the flesh, is gonna try to get you off track. And so we need endurance to stay on track and keep our eyes on the prize. And so let's read James chapter five. We're gonna start in verse seven, read down to verse 12 and stop there and we'll leave the remaining chunk as we land the plane next week, all right? You guys in James five? Let me see, let me see it. All right, read along with me. Use your pointer finger if needed and let's, uh, let's dive in. Verse seven, therefore be patient brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse nine, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. God in heaven, we look to you this morning. We know that we are on earth and you are in heaven. Yet that does not mean that you are removed from us. Though you are the almighty God who sits on the only throne that you have created all that we see and all that we don't see. There's none greater than you. There is none like you. Yet in all your grandeur and majesty, you're here with us today that you are here in this room, that for some of us, you are even in our very hearts and souls. And Lord, that we know because of what your word says to us, you desire to work in our lives. You desire to bring us to the full maturity in Christ. And we want that this morning. And so we pray that you would speak to us in and through your word by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now we're gonna be first looking at uh, our mandate. That's our first point for today. You can note it down, our mandate. Within these handful of verses, there is a consistent theme that is repeated. And you and I as students of the Bible are to find what the Bible says. We are never to come to the passage and use it and twist it to say what we want or bring in uh, stuff to the Bible, but we are, to, we are to dig, we are to look, we are to find what is there and what would God speak to you and I. Now a mandate, if you don't know what that is, is an authoritative command. Uh, within the last couple of years of the COVID insanity, uh, we have seen, especially in California, many mandates, right? The mask mandate, 
uh, don't, don't even look at anyone mandate. No, not really, but you guys know what I mean. We've seen these mandates and those we have resisted, right? Some of them, because some of them are, are coming from uh, an improper authority, meaning that those who would be elected are overreaching with their elected authority. There's only so much authority that elected officials have, yet they are simply trying to overreach that authority. But mandate is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And contrary to that, God, in his word, has given you and I mandates. We refer to them as commands or commandments. And unlike many politicians, God is not an authority by election. There is no end or beginning to God's authority. And so what God says goes. And it is he who has all authority and all right to give his commands and mandates. And you and I, as his people, because he is God and he is our God, we put ourselves under his mandates. Now, thank God that the Bible describes that God's commandments are not burdensome, meaning they're not heavy because God, when he gives his commands and mandates from heaven, they're not for selfish purposes, right? We know uh, in in our land that some of the mandates that have gone out and can go out sometimes have uh, ulterior motives, selfish motives, power, money, whatever it might be, control. But when God gives a command, it's not for himself. You know, God doesn't get anything. He is not increased if you obey or do not obey a command. He gives these mandates for your protection, for your benefit, and for your blessing. And the clear mandate that is in this passage is one that is repeated. And sometimes at first glance of what we just read, it might not be apparent at first, but as you dig, you will find it. And I will give it to you since I did the digging for you this week. The repeated mandate, I want to point out to you. Okay, Maybe you can catch the theme as we go in it. Look at verse 7 in your Bibles. He says, be patient. Okay, then also in verse 7, he describes a farmer who waits patiently for his crop. Then in verse 8, again, he says, be patient. Then in verse 10, He says that there are those who are examples of suffering and what? Patience. And then in verse 11, he says, those who endure are blessed. And then in verse 11 as well, he talks about the perseverance of Job. And though different words are mentioned, all these words point to the same concept, the same theme. And it is the idea of patience, perseverance, and endurance. All those things go together. And though there are different words, it's the same mandate. And it is this. It is regardless of difficulty, keep going and go well. And so we see these, these three words specifically that are mentioned throughout the passage. And one is the word patient. And the other is the words endure and perseverance. Now, uh, because uh, I got to study this week, I got to look at the original language of some of these words. And upon studying, I found out that when it's translated patient, okay, that's one Greek word. But then when it's translated endure or perseverance, it's actually the same Greek word, but repeated. 
Okay, so it's repeated in verse 11 two different times. Now, with these words, though, there is a very strong connection. Such a strong connection that in other passages in the Bible, these terms are synonymous and interchangeable. Meaning that in places that you read, like in verse 7, it says, be patient. You could, you could write in the words, endure or persevere. It, it would have a, a wildly similar meaning, virtually interchangeable. But they are slightly different, as they are different words. This word patient, it, it means this. And I kind of like, these were different kind of uh, definitions that I found, and they were helpful to me. This word patient, sometimes you and I just think about patience as standing in line at a store, right? Uh, but but it's, it's more than this. It's like what we talked about in our first study. James chapter 1 was the, 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 the patient faith or persevering faith, a faith that keeps going. It's to be even-tempered. Uh, during trying circumstances. It's to have this internal and external control in the midst of difficult situations. Many scholars believe that the word patience has to do with your attitude towards people in the midst of trying times or hard times. Whereas the word endure or perseverance has a little bit more to do not just with people, but just situationally, like literally the ability to keep going. That's where it says uh, here within the definitions of endure, it is the power to withstand hardship or stress. It is an inward fortitude in the midst of outward attacks. Okay? And so the only reason that you and I need, this is our mandate. Our mandate from heaven, from James chapter five, is that you and I would have this patient, enduring, persevering reality about our lives. And the only reason that we need this is because there is resistance, okay? If you're taking notes, you might wanna note down that the only reason we need endurance is because there is resistance, okay? If there was no resistance, there would be no need for resilience. We wouldn't need to be resilient. We wouldn't need to endure. We wouldn't need to persevere. What do you endure when there's nothing pushing back? But because of pushback, we need patience. You know, when you're at your favorite restaurant eating your favorite food, you don't need endurance to keep going. Maybe to eat a whole lot more, but you don't need your, you know, someone to convince you, hey, just stay and enjoy the meal. You're like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm gonna do, okay? When you're on the beach, uh, your favorite beach with a, with a smoothie and a pineapple. I don't know, it just sounds amazing. Uh, and you're sitting there, you, you know, uh, one of your prayers isn't gonna be, oh God, would you just give me perseverance to enjoy this incredible beach with this incredible view? No, those are not times in your life when you're asking God for endurance. Why? Because there's no pushback. You're like, yes, this is great. I don't need convincing. I don't need to endure through this. I am gladly doing this. But when you need endurance is when you are experiencing pushback, resistance in your life. And the reality is, is we are all going to experience resistance. You're gonna get pushback because Jesus said you will have tribulation. It can be guaranteed. And so if you have not yet gone through something hard, you will go through something hard. If you are currently going through something hard, 
then this will be extremely applicable for, for you today. And if you have gone through something hard, then also, and God's seen you through, then there, this is going to be a great reminder to you. James chapter 1, our very first study in this series on James of faith that works, we talked about this same word, patience. Remember when he said in James chapter 1, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Oh, come on, produces what? But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. This was the first study we talked about, how God allows things to happen in our life that he might produce in us a faith that can endure, that can persevere. Well, this seems to be an important topic to James that he bookends his letter. He says, hey, you're going to go through difficult times. You're going to begin with difficult times and you're going to end with difficult times. But this is why you have the need for endurance. I like what Jesus says when talking about persecution. Luke chapter 21, verses 16 through 19. I really like how Jesus puts this and frames this same idea that we're talking. So here in this passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples and warning them saying, hey, there's going to come a time and he's talking about the end times, that uh, things are going to heat up. Things are going to get difficult for you. Uh, it's not going to be uh, an easy thing to live out your Christianity. And he says this, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, those closest to you, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Wow. Okay. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. You're like, wow, thank you, Jesus. This is an encouraging sermon. Then he says, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. He assures them, I'm going to be with you. And so he says, in light of this, in light of the outside potential and God's presence, he says, by your patience, possess your souls. That word possess, it means to, to grab onto, to apprehend, almost the word to, to arrest, to take hold of. That you and I, by this patience, by this endurance, we need to grab on to our souls. Notice he doesn't say bodies. He says souls. Possess your souls with this perseverance. This is the mandate for you and I. Peter would say this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And he goes on this list and notice one of the things in this list is the word perseverance. Peter tells his readers, hey, this is something you need to add to your faith. You might be in here today and you're like, I have faith in Jesus. That's awesome. I'm hoping for most of you, that is a settled fact in your life. You have faith in Christ, but now what? Are you building on to your life? Are you adding to your faith? Peter said, with all diligence, we should be adding these certain things to our faith. And one of them, he says, it's perseverance. Listen, every one of you in here today, including myself, we need perseverance. So how do we do this? How, how do we add to this faith? Hopefully, the mandate is clear. Okay, you guys got it? Endurance? Do I need to say, do I keep needing to say perseverance? Or, or you guys got it? Good? Okay. So then 
how do we do this? How do we add this to our faith? What are the means by which we can possess this perseverance and endurance? Well, I'm really glad you asked. That brings us to our second point for today. All right, so we got the mandate clear. All right, well, how do we do it? What what are things that we need to uh, have in our life that can create this patient, persevering life? You know, there's a lot of people that, that come around church and God for a while, right? Jesus talked about them in that parable of the sower. He said, they hear the word of God, they get real excited and stuff hits their life and it chokes out the word of God in their life. My deepest prayer for you guys is that you would not allow the things that you will go through, have gone through or are going through to allow those things to choke out the promises of God. But I see it. I've been doing this seven years now. And so I have seen, there are adults who were once in junior high that I had influence on that I see they have walked away from the faith. What causes that? They didn't have any perseverance in their faith. It was surface level. And so when, when life hit, when things were, looked good, things were shiny or things were difficult, that they went away. I don't want that for you. And so you need perseverance. And so the mandate's clear, but what are the means by which you are able to persevere in your lives? Like, for example, if I asked you today, hey, how did you get to church? What are the means by which you came to church? You would say, well, my parents drove me in their car. Okay, that is the means, the how you got from point A to point B. And so if perseverance is something we have to add to our life, that means we do not have it naturally. It is something that must be added. Yes, that makes sense? And so throughout this passage, there are four different means or hows uh, of, of that, that will help you and I have this type of perseverance in our lives. All right, you guys ready for them? Number one, look at verse eight. We are to have this, uh, we are to have established hearts, okay? We will have perseverance by the establishment of our hearts. Quite simply, verse eight, it just says, James says, establish your heart. Establish your hearts. To establish, it means to strengthen and make firm. Now, when it's talking about heart, it's not talking about the physical organ in your body that pumps blood throughout your, okay, he's not talking like, hey, watch your cholesterol, like you really want to make sure to strengthen your heart. No, no, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the inner person in you, right? When the Bible talks about the heart, he is talking about your soul, your spirit, the inner person, the inner man or the inner woman. And this is something that we're to strengthen. We are to add reinforcements to the inward person. It would be like for those who live in areas like maybe down in the South, New Orleans, who they have big storms, right? Winds and rains, and I don't know how people live there, but they do. And so, and so what do they do when they know a storm is coming? They add reinforcements to their house. They sandbag their doors. They, they put wood on their windows. Why? So that they are ready for whatever comes. You see, you and I, are to reinforce the inward person in us. One thing that will set us up for a life of perseverance is having an established heart. And if you have an unsettled heart, it is a sure way to lose endurance. And this is awesome. And this, this, is, this is what the Bible teaches. The fact that 
The worst thing could happen on the outside, but as long as you are settled with Jesus on the inside and you continue to pour in to that inner person, God says, you'll be good. Literally, the, the peace of God that is described isn't an outward peace, it's an inward peace. That's why he says that peace will guard your hearts and minds because people can do whatever they want on the outside, but they can't change you inside if you have a strong an established heart. Um, with this verse, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. You see, James starts here with the issue of the heart because oftentimes the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. I've gotten the, the opportunity to meet with a lot of different people here uh, at the church, uh, not on Sundays or Wednesdays, people that, that come in and might, might meet with me for biblical uh, guidance. And I've seen a lot of different situations, a lot of different difficult situations in homes and uh, meet with different parents and students, a lot of different situations. But oftentimes when people come in and they have a situation and they say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with or this is the problem, or parents sometimes bring their students in to meet with me, and sometimes students don't want to be there. And, and sometimes, right, there's this proposed problem. But usually, that proposed problem is not actually the problem. It's a symptom of the real problem, which is the heart of the people that come in. You see, it always comes out of the heart. Notice, for out of it, the heart springs the issues of life. You have a problem in life, it's probably not the problem. The problem is probably your heart or someone else's heart. That's oftentimes what it comes down to. And so our investment into the inward person is the best investment that we could do. Because then when outside things happen, oh, I'm, I'm established inside, settled. Does that make sense? So we are to have established hearts. The second thing is this is gonna happen by closed mouths. Closed mouths, which is hard to do. And he's talked a lot about, right, the mouth and the tongue. And this has been a repeated theme all the way from chapter 1. And he continues with it. Notice verse 9 in your Bibles. He says, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Do not grumble. I like that he, I don't know, I like that he uses the word grumble. Everyone say grumble. Man, it is so easy to be grumbly, isn't it? Like, I, I just can find myself day after day just being grumbly, right? You just, you just, nah. And you're just complaining against people. And that is a very good way to lose endurance, is to be a grumbly person. This word grumble, it literally means to complain. It describes an inward moaning that is expressed outwardly. And you might ask, well, what, is that, what does complaining have to do with perseverance? It has a lot to do with it, right? This idea of, of patience, well, when you're at the store with your mom, I, I don't know why, I bring up this illustration a lot, I think because I have these memories of being at stores with my mom and it just being terrible, right? Uh, not because of my mom, because of my own like lack of perseverance, right? My own lack of patience. But you know, you're at the store and all you want to do is go home. Like that's the only thing on your mind. And so you're there and, and, and then your mom might say, what? Be patient. Now your mom might say a lot of other things too, but we'll, that's for another study. But, but she might say something along the lines of be patient. Now, what does that mean? She doesn't just want you to stay with her. That's the given. The idea is an attitude change. Complaining is the opposite 
of enduring. You might say, well, at least I'm getting through it. Yeah, you're surviving, but you're not thriving, right? It's like, okay, you, yeah, you made it through the store, but you didn't make it well. Like, I don't want my life to be like that. I want to get through life and also do it well. There'll be some people that survive life and barely make it to heaven. I want to be able to thrive through life and, and, and for life not to be that much different in heaven in the sense that, of course, it's going to be different. Sin's taken away. But our goal now should be the same goal when we get in heaven, pleasing the Lord. Philippians 2 verse 14 and 15 says, do all things without complaining and disputing. And he goes on to talk about how that will be the basis for being a light in the lives of people. I don't like this verse. I got, I got to be honest with you. Do all things? I wish it said like do most things. Because I feel like I could do most things without complaining. But to do all things. I think it's a really big key for us to be able to live a life that endures. Is not complaining about the big stuff, the small stuff, or any stuff. And by simply closing our mouths, we'll be helpful in our perseverance. The, se- the third thing is by trustworthy words. We're going to be able to persevere and endure and keep our eyes on the prize by having trustworthy words. Verse 12, he says, But above all, brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Kind of interesting. He says, but above all. Like he gets to this point that he says, hey, everything I've just said, this is of primary importance. Like when the Bible says above all, you're like, okay, so those things you said before, important. This thing, very important. So we should pay attention. And what does he say? He says, we shouldn't be swearing. We shouldn't be using other things as a way to say, believe my word. That simply when we say yes, we should have a track record of trustworthiness that, that people can take us at face value. That we don't have to say, yes, I will do it. I swear I will do it. And, and, and this is something that, that happens today, right? But something that for the Christian, we should not be swearing. That should not be a thing in your life. You shouldn't have to say, you know, I'll do it, I swear. You should just be able to say, I'll do it. And because of your track record, that you'll do it. And sometimes that when we mess that up, it takes time to build that trust. But there's no doubt that James got this plagiarized in a good way uh, from his brother, Jesus, right? James, the author here is the half brother of Jesus. And, and this is very similar to Jesus's teaching in Matthew chapter five, during the sermon on the Mount, during this passage, and I'm only sharing with you verse 37, but during this passage, Jesus said, hey, you've, you've heard it said that you shall not swear falsely, but you shall prefer, perform your oaths to the Lord. But Jesus says, hey, you shouldn't be swearing at all, not by, not by God, right? I swear to God. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't have to say that, or I, or I swear on my, my mother's grave or, or whatever, right? People say that kind of stuff. It's really sad if you, okay. But anyway, um, you know, you shouldn't have to call on something else to be the, be the reason that that we should be people that when we say yes, it's yes. And when we say no, it's no. And it seems to be a connection that, that this is a key to living a righteous life that endures. You see, something that's gonna trip us up is if our words cannot be trusted. We won't last long 
if what we say can't be trusted. And so we don't need to call on other things. We can simply have our yes be yes and our no be no. Okay? Make sense? Okay, number four. And finally, for our means or the how is that we are to do this by our examples. That we are to draw encouragement from the examples of men and women who have gone before us, specifically those in the Old Testament. All right? So look back at verse 10, just as a way of refresher. Verse 10, 11, James here says, my brethren. It's the idea, when he says my brethren, it's the idea of he's, he's saying, hey, family, like brothers, sisters, family of God, those in Christ. He says, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. It's pretty cool. Here, James points back and says, hey, you wanna, you wanna go far and go well? Then you need to look back at your examples. Romans chapter 15, four and five, Paul would say something similar. He would actually give us the purpose for the Old Testament. Have you ever wondered like, why can't we just move on to just reading the New Testament? Like, why, what are some of the purposes that we still need to read, like, these character stories about David and Moses and whoever, these men of faith? Like, yeah, like, they were in the past. Like, why can't we just talk about the New Testament? Well, Paul would say this, for whatever things were written before Old Testament were written for our learning, that we, through the patience, that's our word for today, perseverance, and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. It's pretty cool. God says that as you study and read, like those Old Testament stories you know, maybe were taught growing up, like they're not just so that children's ministry has content to teach, so that they have lessons. No, no, it is for your encouragement to say, you know what? Yeah, this is what happened to this guy. This is what happened to her. Okay, and, and they're examples, right? And so he says that through them and through those stories, we will find strength to keep going. And I love that he just mentions that God is the God of patience. He's the God of steady endurance. He will be the one that we draw our strength. And so, right, there are many different people that he could use as an example. He could have talked about a lot of different people in the Old Testament that are examples of endurance. He chooses to talk about Job, but could you guys think of any that, uh, that come to mind of an example of someone who had it hard but kept going? Ethan, you got one? Joseph, totally, right? He was thrown in a pit. He was thrown in prison, but he kept going, and we saw God's will come to pass. Gabriel? Yeah, Daniel, amazing example, right? Uh, was... Uh, was oftentimes accused and, and just went through difficulty, lions then, you know, things like that. Who, who else in the Bible is an example of, of that endurance? Yeah. Jesus? Most definitely. He literally died and came back. Yep. Solomon? Yeah. Noah? Definitely. Noah, right? I mean, there was, it had never rained before, and Noah was like, hey, it's going to rain. I'm going to build a boat. You should get in the boat. And people were like, you're nuts, okay? So he had some difficulty. David, totally, right? He's got, his, uh, he's got his own father-in-law trying to kill him. Man, on and on. Right? We could go on and on. But Giselle, you have one? What is it? Huh? 
Job, right? And that's the prime example. Out of all these, right, he picks Job. Look at verse 11. He says, but the perseverance of Job, he says, you've heard of this. He says, out of all these examples, I want you to look at Job. And I believe that James picked Job because there might have not been another man or woman to suffer in the Old Testament quite like Job suffered. He's one of the greatest examples of difficulty, but coming through to the other side. And notice there, it, it says that, um, that he highlights Job and he says, look at the intended end. Look there in verse 11. He says, the intended end by the Lord, meaning God's purpose in it. And what was God's purpose? Well, it's to create in Job, no doubt a perseverance. But the, the end was that Job was blessed. He got his socks blessed off. I don't know even what that means, but, but he did. He, he got blessed twice as much as he was before. Okay, Job was a pretty blessed dude before. Like he was, he was one of the richest, most powerful men in the world. Uh, the, the, the known world of, the, of the, what was called the East at the time. And yet now he lost all these things, right? Loses his family, loses his wealth, loses his health. And yes, he wasn't perfect, but he endured. And on the other end of it, God blessed him twice as much. Job chapter 42, verse 10 and 12 says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Now you and I, we have 2020, uh, sorry, we have hindsight, right? And hindsight's 2020, meaning that we can see clearly looking back on the book of Job because we know the beginning and the end. When Job was living, he didn't know what the end of this was. All, all he knew was that his family's dead, his, all his wealth is gone, and he's got these boil, sore, nasty things all over his body. Like, that's what he knew. But he also knew that God was going to see him through. He might have not understood the why. And there might have been times where he complained a little and had some difficulty, somewhat understandable. But he never did what his wife told him to do. You know, Job's wife told him that he should curse God and kill himself because of what he was going through. And so even his own wife was encouraging that, that Job said, I'm not going to do that. And God saw him through. And so the difficulty that we go in our life, we can look back at these examples and see God was faithful and God was good. Notice at the end of verse 11, he says, what, he said, what was the end? That we would see that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. If you've ever gone, if God has ever seen you through something difficult, then you will have a greater understanding of the goodness and compassion of God. He does not allow us to go through difficult things because he doesn't care. He allows us to go through them because he cares so much, because he has compassion and mercy. And so the key here, guys, is that we are to look at the intended end and that will be motivation to you and I to run fast and run hard. Which brings us to our third and final point for today, which is our motivation. All right? We got our mandate. We had the means by which we will have that mandate accomplished. And finally, we have our motivation. Our motivation. And what is it? Well, 
Quite simply, it's the fact that Jesus is coming back. And that rhymed, and that was really cool, okay? It is the fact that Jesus is coming back. He is. And this is the greatest and most ultimate motivation to keep going and to keep going well. Look there in verse 7. He says, until the coming of the Lord. Then jump to verse 8. He says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's referred to as the coming judge. Verse 9, behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then also in verse 9 and 12, he says, lest you fall into judgment. It's the idea that Jesus is coming back soon. And this, as believers, should be our ultimate and greatest motivation. Now, we know that Jesus, though, is coming in two parts, right? We know that he is, yes, coming in the rapture, and that can happen at any moment. But in that, he's staying in the atmosphere. We are caught up with him. That's when he's coming back for his church. But then there's also coming a time where, where it's referred to as his second coming. And that time, uh, he is not coming for peace, but he's coming as a judge. He's coming to deal with all the, the wrongs and make them right. And so I want you to notice verse 8. He says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You might want to make special note of that, at hand. This is a repeated theme throughout the New Testament. The fact that Jesus' coming is at hand. It's a phrase, it's a term that means that it is coming near. At hand is the fact that a time is approaching. And it's true. Today, before the end of service, Jesus could come back. By the end of today, Jesus could... Now, no, no one knows the day or the hour. But what the Bible teaches is what scholars teach is the doctrine of imminency. Everyone say imminency. imminency. It's kind of a weird word, but it is, it is the word, right? It's, the, it's a different version of the word imminent. It means could happen at any moment, any time. And that's what the Bible teaches. And so because of that, we might, be we might be living our life, but if we live it without the recognition that Jesus could come back, then we're gonna be living it different. But if we live saying, man, this could be the day. If we wake up in the morning and we say, Jesus could come back today, then I'm not gonna go out and sin. I'm gonna go out and, and be a light. I want my Lord, when he comes back, to find me serving him, not denying him, Right? Remember that look that is described in the Gospels when Peter is warming himself by the, the fire of those who arrested Jesus and Jesus is being beat and there's a moment that we're told that the eyes of Jesus and Peter connect. They make eye contact. And no doubt, you can almost just feel it in the scriptures that Peter's heart just drops and it says he goes out immediately and weeps bitterly. Why? Because he didn't live what he wanted to, right? He told Jesus, I will die for you. He failed, he messed up. Now there's repentance, there's forgiveness, but that feeling, I never wanna feel that. I never, want, I never wanna disappoint my Lord. Now I'm thankful that God can't be disappointed. Do you guys know that? Because disappointment means that you have expectations that don't happen. God already knows the future. So literally it is an impossibility for God to be disappointed in you. Now he can be grieved by our sin. That's a possibility. And so this is motivation for us. 
the fact that he is coming back. First John 2 verse 28 says this, and now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Man, this means, this verse means that there will be some that will be ashamed, right? The rapture will happen. All our, everything stays. We go up, ain't taking nothing with you. And that moment, there'll be some that are engaged maybe in a sinful act or in an unrepentant sin or just living a life of kind of apathy and not really caring. And that moment, right, their heart will drop. It'll be that moment for some people when Peter and Jesus connected eyes. Now, we know that Peter was ultimately restored and you in heaven will ultimately be restored and there's forgiveness in Jesus. But I don't wanna have that time of, I, I wish Jesus waited till tomorrow until I got right with him. And so this is our greatest motivation to keep going and keep going well. Timothy, uh, to Timothy, Paul would write to Timothy, um, he would write to Timothy, 2 Timothy. Uh, and, and this is when Paul is, is, is on his last leg. Uh, he is about to be beheaded by Caesar Nero. And he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, right, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who lo- have loved his appearing. You see, this doctrine of imminency, this doctrine that Jesus is coming should be something that we love, that we look forward to. That's why we sing, right? We sing that song about getting ready. And we're gonna be closing with that song in a moment because we must be ready for Jesus to come. And so we wanna live as he's mandated and commanded us to live that we might please our Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we... uh come before you today and we're just grateful that that you are so good to us that you love us and care for us and God we just pray that you would help us to live in the reality of your return that we might not be ashamed before you at your coming that we might run this race with endurance and Lord that your word wouldn't return void in our lives, that, we wouldn't, that your grace toward us wouldn't be in vain, but we would labor more abundantly. And so, Lord, we, we look to you for these things. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.